Chapter Four of the Little Foresters A Story of Field and Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. The Little Foresters A Story of Field and Woods by Clarence Hawkes. Chapter 4 The Galloping Hessian The Galloping Hessian was a red-crested woodpecker who lived for a long time in our orchard, and in whom I came to take a lively interest. You may wonder a little at the name I gave him, but it was one that pleased my childish fancy, and when I have explained its true significance, I am sure that you will agree with me in thinking it most appropriate. Now all of the members of the woodpecker family, not only the red-crested woodpecker, but also his cousin, partridge woodpecker, and their more stylish cousin, the pileated woodpecker, have a peculiar motion in flying that gives the impression of a galloping horse. When they first spring from the tree to fly, they drop down fifteen or twenty feet, but quickly rise to about the height from which they started, and then across the fields they go, rising and falling in their flight for all the world like a galloping horse. So upon a bright spring morning, when the sunbeams played upon his brilliant red crest and set off his shiny black coat to good advantage, it was very easy to imagine that my woodpecker was a galloping hessian. The first I ever saw of him was one warm April morning, when I heard a great whacking out in the orchard, and I went to see what it was all about. I soon discovered that the pounding came from an old apple tree, and creeping cautiously along, I got a fine look at him before he saw me. He was standing upon a decayed limb from which the bark had been peeled by wind and weather, whacking away at it like the merry little woodchopper that he is. With his sharp claws dug into the wood, he stood bracing himself with his tail, which was spread out fan-shaped. This gave him a good purchase, so that he could ply his short, sharp bill with terrible strokes. The chips came down in showers, and the sharp rat-a-tat-tat of his blows rang out upon the morning air with a great noise. So fast he struck that the eye could not follow the motion of his head, which seemed all the time to be in one place, while the blows were so near together that it sounded like the long roll upon a drum done by a very skillful drummer-boy. Why was he working so frantically, I wondered? But even while I asked myself the question, came the answer. For he stopped whacking and began examining the wood curiously, cocking his head first upon one side and then on the other. Then he gave two or three sharp whacks, and, thrusting his bill deep into the wood, drew out a fat worm which he ate with great relish. He had been after his breakfast. 
Who would have imagined that a bird would find his breakfast in a dry, dead limb, and how did he know that the worm was there? Why did he try the tree where it was dead? While I was still trying to solve the mystery, he flew away, and I saw him no more that day, nor for several days. But after a few days he came back, and I saw him frequently at the old apple tree. We could even hear his merry rat-a-tat-tat from the house when he was getting his breakfast or supper. Whack, whack, ping, ping, other birds may chirp or sing, but my one song is the merry stroke with which I pierce the elm or oak, away with chirping and with singing while I set the echoes ringing. This was what the galloping Hessian always seemed to be saying when he perched upon a dry limb and plied his short, strong bill. But more was going on in the old apple tree than I dreamed of these spring days, for it must be a hungry bird indeed that would chop away for half a day at a time, although I did not stop to consider the fact. About a month after the first appearance of my little friend in the old apple tree, I saw him come flying, galloping as usual, across the fields and light upon this particular tree. I looked again, but he was not there. I was wondering where he could have disappeared to, when of a sudden he appeared upon the dead limb and even while I watched him, he disappeared in the most peculiar manner. My astonishment was still greater when I discovered his head sticking out of a hole in the tree a few feet further up, and his bright eyes seemed to be watching me. He had made him a house in the old apple tree, and come to live with us all the summer through. The next day I climbed up to investigate. It was a very tall apple tree, and my hair stood up as I looked down to the ground. There, just under the dead limb, the galloping Hessian had built himself and Mrs. Hessian the cutest house that you ever saw, proof against both the wind and rain, and almost anything that crawls, creeps, or flies. He had chopped a round hole, about three inches in diameter, in towards the center of the tree for three or four inches. Then it suddenly ran straight down for six inches more. And there at the bottom was the nest made of hair and bits of fuzz, very neat and comfortable. One morning early in May, when the apple blossoms were sweet upon the half-leaved trees, and the air seemed mild and warm, there came up a terrible windstorm, accompanied by hail and lightning. The sky grew suddenly dark, the wind howled frightfully, and the hailstones fell like bullets. The thunder rolled in one continuous cannonade and the lightning was so bright that I dared not look out of the window, but hid in the further corner of the room. Just before the storm came up, I had seen Mr. and Mrs. Hessian flying home to their snug house. Something in the air or the sky had told them that it was coming, 
but the storm departed with the same haste that it had shown in coming, and the sun was soon shining brightly, as though it had never gone under the clouds. Then, full of boyish curiosity as to what had been doing outside, I went out of doors. Finally, my wanderings led me to the old orchard, and then it was the natural thing to go to the ancient apple tree, for it was one of my favorite trees. I could hardly believe my eyes when I beheld it stretched upon the ground with many of its rotten limbs broken in the fall. But my first thought was of the galloping Hessian and his wife. I soon discovered them galloping wildly about the orchard, now lighting upon this tree and now that, and never staying long in a place, and always returning to their ruined home. I clambered into the top of the tree in search of the woodpecker's nest. Just at the point where they had pierced the tree, it had split and falling, and there upon the ground was the carefully shaped nest with the broken eggs nearby. No happening of after years has left a deeper impression upon my mind than has this tragedy of the galloping Hessian. His home had seemed so secure from all danger, and here, in the twinkling of an eye, the whole fabric had fallen to earth. His dream and mine alike had vanished. While I sat upon the trunk of the fallen tree, the woodpeckers galloped about the orchard for the last time, as though it was hard to leave. They hovered a moment over the remains of their home, then galloped away over the fields and were soon lost to sight. I stood up that I might see them as long as possible, but finally the rhythmic rise and fall of the red crests was lost to sight, and they were gone never to return to the scene of their sorrow. I wept bitter tears in the empty nest, and tried vainly to piece the broken eggs together, but the dream was ended, and I had awakened to one of the stern realities of nature. End of chapter 4